Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 7. As we make our way through the scriptures, I've entitled the morning's message, The Whole Story, The First Martyr. And Paul read our text this morning. Let's read it again. Um, Before I read it again, let me do a little background. Go back to chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And it says, now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a great murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, Uh, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we we may set over this business. Go to verse 5a. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of them because um, our study is going to revolve around Stephen and Joseph this morning, primarily. If you go to verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power and great wonders and signs among the people. And then we have in chapter 6, 9 through 15, where Stephen um, begins to debate with this people from the synagogue of of the freedmen. Um, But they weren't able to stand up to um, his wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke it. They, they, they couldn't handle them. Stephen outdid them. And um, so what they did is they secretly seduced men uh, to double-cross them. They stirred up the people, the scribes, and they seized him and brought him to the council. And now he's standing before all these people that hate him. And they also set up false witnesses false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place in the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Well, they're just twisting the scriptures here. What Jesus said was, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And they said, we've been building on this thing for the last 46 years and you're gonna rebuild it in three days? And then Jesus says, but he spoke of the temple of his body and about raising it up in three days. So they're twisting it here. And um, um, verse 15, before we get into our study, I want to lay a little bit of a background. Um, And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. So they're wanting to kill him, and uh, he's beaming like a light bulb. That brings us to our text, which tells us that I want to just look at um, um, verse 1. Well, let me give you a breakup of how we're going to study chapter 7. It is 60 verses long, and we're going to go through all 60 of them. And we're going to break it up into six different sections. If you're taking notes and like to do that sort of thing, uh, verses 1 through 19 is going to be about Abraham. Verses 9 through 
through 18 is going to be about Joseph, which we'll spend probably most of our time talking about this morning. Uh, Verses 20 through 45 are about Moses. Verse 46 is about David. Verse 47 is about Solomon. And verses 51 through 60 is Stephen um, giving the gospel, and that's how this this chapter 7 will end. So um, we'll also look at the genealogy from Abraham through David to Jesus. Remember, their problem is the resurrection. He's talking to the Sadducees. Two major groups in Judaism, you have Pharisees, they believe in angels and the resurrections, and the Sadducees, they don't believe in either one. They were sort of the liberal left, if you want to put it in those sort of terms. And so what happens in verse one is the high priest is taking this all in, and he said, are these things so? And I had to look at that, and I have to tell you, I don't know if this is sarcasm on behalf of the high priest, or was it a sincere question? I can't give you that answer. But it does say, are these things so? My question is, is he being sarcastic? Or was that a sincere question on his behalf? What Stephen, from this point on, does is he gives them a history lesson of the nation of Israel. And we're going to start out with Abraham in verses 1 through 19 and how he left his land. And I'm going to put up on the screen at this time the journeys of Abraham, and I'm going to leave it up during uh, the duration of uh, the message. And it should be coming up right now. Uh, Ur of the Chaldeans is going to be on your far uh, right-hand corner. And where you see the two lines going towards Egypt and then coming back again, uh, we'll refer to that throughout the study this morning. So, um, let's read uh, the verses that I'm going to stop when we get to Joseph, but let's start reading again where Paul started for us this morning. Then the high priest said, are these things so? And now Stephen speaks and he says, men and brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, get out from your country, from your relatives, and come to a land that I will show you. Um, I wonder about this verse, because here the Lord is telling him, leave the family members and come to a place that I'm going to show you. Uh, we, we find out that his father and Lot and some other family members go with him. So whether he had a hard time obeying the Lord with this, I'm, I'm not sure exactly um, I know that God doesn't speak to him again until his father dies. So I sort of lean towards the fact as they go up to Haran, that's at the tip, at the top there. By the way, why don't they just, if the promised land is almost a straight line to um, there, why do they go all the way up before they come all the way down? 
And the answer to that is, it's called the Fertile Crescent. And that the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers run through there, and there's water. Everything in between is desert. And so the reason they go all the way up is there have, uh, it's the Fertile Crescent, plenty of uh, uh, food uh, for them to eat. And we go on reading here. He's told to leave his own country and your relatives. And I think that it would include dad. And he came to the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And Haran again is the tip. And from there, when his father was dead, well, his father wasn't supposed to go along anyway. So they stay in Haran until um, Abraham's father died. He moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on, but even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants forever. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would sojourn in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. We'll look at that more detail this morning. And the nations to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God, and after this they shall come out and serve me in this place. Well, this is all history. And they know this. Uh, Verse eight, then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. Uh, So God, so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Now, just a medical interesting fact, uh, vitamin K, I believe, is the, um, the vitamin that um, uh, causes uh, up till the seventh day, you can bleed easy, okay? But vitamin K kicks in on the eighth day. Thus, if you're circumcised on the eighth day, it's the perfect time to be circumcised because of the vitamin K kicking in. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. So there you have the 12 tribes of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, no, they're beginning. We'll get to to that in a bit. And the patriarchs became envious and sold Joseph into Egypt. Here we're introduced um, to uh, Joseph. And I'd like you to turn with me now to Genesis chapter 37. Give you a moment to get there. And I'd like to talk a little bit about Joseph. I actually watched the movie Joseph last night and uh, sort of stumbled across it and I thought, I can't believe this. I, had, I got it off of Roku and I was just clicking through and I was at the life of Joseph. And the thing is, it was spot on. It was really good. And... Um, I'm going to go home and finish watching it because I fell asleep somewhere in the middle of it. (laughs) But um, I thought, well, this is interesting timing, Lord. So in chapter 37, we have Joseph. And we know that Joseph um, was um, his father's favorite. And... um, he was made the coat of many colors. 
And we find that we read in the psalm this morning, verse eight, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. So he had a job that was pretty, pretty cushy. And dad showed favoritism. I don't think that's right, but he did. Towards Joseph and Benjamin. And he was sent out um, this is the genealogy of Jacob. Joseph was, being 17 years old, verse two, was feeding flock with his brothers and the lad was with the sons of Bilbah, the sons of Zilpah, and his father's wife. And Joseph brought a bad report to them for his father. So he was sort of like the overseer to tell dad if the guys were working or not. He brought back a bad report. So they we're not doing nothing. They're just laying around. And um, um, he said he had this dream where uh, he had these sheaves bow down to him. And after he dreamed this dream, um, his brothers said to him, because they realized the dream was about them, they were the sheaves and they were going to bow down to him. And... Um, and they basically said, you're crazy if you think we're going to bow down to you. And then he dreamed another dream in verse 9. And this one was about uh, the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Well, the sun and the moon would be his mom and dad, and 11 stars would be his brothers again. And they bowed down to me. And they told it to his father, his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I... So he understood it. And your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you. You respect your father. You don't bow down to him. He was offended by it. So his brothers envied him. So one day, uh, let's pick it up in verse 18. There's this animosity between uh, Joseph and his brothers. And... um, when they saw him coming, uh, they took him and they threw him into a pit with no water. And their plan was to kill him. And I'm picking it up in verse 18. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. And then they said one to another, look, here comes that dreamer. Come, let's kill him. And cast him into some pit and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of this dreamer. But Reuben um, heard it and, in, in, and delivered him out of their hands and said, let's not kill him. And so they threw him in this pit. Um, and as they took his coat of many colors and stripped him of, of that, And all of a sudden, they have a band of um, Ishmaelites, a caravan, coming by. And the guys see it. And said, Reuben said, instead of killing them, why don't we just sell them? And um, that way, the blood won't be on our hands. And the Ishmaelites came. In verse 28, 
It says they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Now, let me just stop right here. What does that make you think of if you're sold for 20 pieces of silver? What would I say if it was 30 pieces of silver? There are more, there's over 110 direct applications from chapter 37 of Genesis to 50 of Jesus Christ more than any other character in the entire Bible. And here's just one of them. So here's, here's one of 110. Despised by his brothers? Well, that's John 1.11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And it's gonna go on and on and on and on that Joseph becomes a picture and a type of Jesus. And you'll see that more clearly. I wish I could get into more depth and spend more time on it. I'm gonna have to read part of the scripture and then fill in the blanks. Um, But what's happening right now is he's going from the pit. He's being sold uh, for 20 pieces of silver. And in chapter 39... Um, he is sold to Potiphar um, and he is close to Pharaoh. So he's sold to this man named Potiphar. If we go to chapter 39, verses one through seven. Um, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. So here's some guy with some um, connections with, with Pharaoh himself. An Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. He says, oh, I like this having this guy around. Everything he does, he makes it better. So Joseph found favor in the sight and served him. Then he made him overseer. So he comes in as a slave, but all of a sudden he gets raised up to the, the top overseer of Potiphar's house. And all that he had, did he put in his hand. In other words, all of Potiphar's possessions, his riches, he trusted Joseph with them. And he raised them up. So, um, and so it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house that all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had and the house in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And Joseph, we get a little bit about his outward appearance here, was handsome in form and appearance. Verse seven is important. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife, that would be Potiphar's wife, uh, cast longing eyes on Joseph and said to him, lie with me. So she hits on Joseph and Joseph basically puts her in her place and he says, look, your husband has raised me up to this position and he's blessed me and now you want me to betray that trust? 
by doing this thing, this great, he calls it a great wickedness in verse nine, and sin against, he doesn't say Potiphar. Who does he say he would sin against? He would sin against God. How can I do this and sin against God? So it was as he spoke to Joseph day by day. In other words, she didn't give up. Uh, He did not heed her to lie with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went in his house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside that she caught him by his garment and she said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. So just imagine it. What he was wearing (laughs) is no longer on him (laughs) and he's on the run. And um, uh, uh, Potiphar comes back in. She has a garment in her hand. Now she's got to come up with a story. Yeah, this guy you hired, Joseph? Well, he tried to rape me. And that was her story. Of course, it's a, a total lie. Uh, but here's the evidence. Here's the clothes. Oh, there's Joseph, stark naked. And looks like he's guilty. And so what happens, um, we find, if you go to verse 20, because of this, it tells us, then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Wherever they, uh, wherever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything under Joseph's hand because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. You see a pattern beginning to emerge? You know? I like to call it, we did a series one time, we called it from the pit to the pinnacle. And now he was in Potiphar's house, raised up to the top, falsely accused, ends up in prison, just a regular prisoner, but the main prison guy takes a a look at this guy, this guy's sharp, he knows what he's doing. And so he makes him the chief guy overseeing all the other prisoners, and he said, in verse 23, the, the chief prisoner didn't give it any thought. Just Joseph could handle it. I trust him. And so wherever he goes, it seems he starts at the bottom and the Lord raises him up to a place of prominence. Well, while he's there, go down to chapter 40 and um, we find that um, there's two guys here. There's the chief butler to Pharaoh and uh, then there was uh, the um, Pharaoh's cupbearer and they both had dreams and um, their high officials one was the main baker and the other one was the one who would uh, taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned before the king would drink it In verse uh, 21 of chapter 40, what he does is they had dreams and they didn't know what they dreamed. Um, 
first of all, to the cupbearer, or to the wine bearer. Verse nine, the, the chief butler told the dream to Joseph, and he said to him, behold, uh, in my dream, a vine was before me, and the vine, there were three branches, as though it had budded, it blossoms forth, and clusters brought forth great grapes. Uh, then Pharaoh's cup was in his hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, here's the interpretation of the dream. This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will be Pharaoh's cup bearer in his hand according to the former manner. In other words, just like it was before. Three days from now, Pharaoh's gonna send for you and say, bring back my wine tester. And um, when you, um, according to the former matter, when you were the butler. But he says in verse 14, but remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me, make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. And before this dream, the other dream, um, we had um, the chief guard, who was um, the baker. He also had a dream, and he and Joseph interprets that dream. Um, when the chief butler, verse 16, saw that the interpretation was good, he said, hey, I had a dream too. Uh, and in my dream, I had three white baskets on my head, and the utmost basket, they were all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh, and birds ate them out of the basket of his head. Joseph said, okay, you, here's the dream, here's the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, first, Pharaoh, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. It came to pass after three days, that's exactly what happened. One goes back to his job and the other one gets his head taken off. Notice verse 22. They're both gone now. Three days have gone by. And on their way out, in verse uh, 26, uh, back earlier says, now don't forget me because I'm in this place unjustly. Yet the chief butler, last verse of chapter 40, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. So he was supposed to inform the Pharaoh that, hey, there's this guy in prison, man. He can interpret dreams and, and all this, and, but he got sidetracked with everyday life and um, forgot all about Joseph. Which brings us to 41 verses one through nine. Now Pharaoh has a dream. And now without reading it, I'm just gonna um, go over it quickly. The dream that he had dealt with um, seven cows that came out of the river. This would be the Nile. Uh, They were ugly, gaunt. In other words, they they were skinny. They weren't healthy. Um, by the other cows on the bank of the river. And uh, the first ones that came out, well, they were 
big and they're looking fine. Verse two, they were fat and they fed her in the meadow. And he slept and he dreamed a second time and suddenly seven heads of grain came up, one stalk plump and good, then another uh, were blighted by the east one and they sprang up and they withered. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump ones uh, with the full heads. So Pharaoh woke and indeed it was a dream. And it's really bothering him. So he calls all the wise men of Egypt. I don't think we really realize uh, when we read in Hebrews that um, when Moses came of age, um, he was trained in all the magic and mysteries and wonders of Egypt. Remember Janus and Jabri on the Ten Commandments? They throw down their staffs and they became serpents too. Um, their technology is so su- su- sophisticated, tough word to say this time, eh? that they could measure the distance to the sun. And we still can't figure out how they got the pyramids together. And so when it talks about all, he was raised in all the wisdom of Egypt. There's a lot going on there. They were extremely sophisticated society. And Moses is going to spend his first 40 years there. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Now Pharaoh has his dream. And he calls on them all together in verse 8, all the magicians of Egypt and wise men, but no one could interpret the pharaoh. And then the chief butler does one of these. Boing. He says, I remember now my fault. There's a guy down in the prison that I was supposed to tell you about him, but until you had your dream, I wasn't thinking about him. But this guy, um, he told me exactly what I dreamed and what he told me came true exactly and so they call for Joseph to um, come up and in verse 25 Pharaoh um, tells them what he saw these two dreams so let's pick it up verse 25 then Joseph said to Pharaoh the dreams of Pharaoh are one even though I had two dreams and God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads are seven years of of corn, are seven years, and the dream is one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty uh, blighted pieces of grain were seven years of famine. And this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh God has shown Pharaoh what is about to happen. So what happened was there was seven years of plenty. Um, The Nile, I've been down the Nile. I've been to Egypt to the the best museum, in my opinion, in the world is the one in Cairo. It's unbelievable. Um, And been able to actually climb up partway up into the pyramids, go into the pyramids, Um, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And 
we find that exactly what happened, they prospered for seven years. So Joseph says, can I give you a bit of advice? Why don't you look for some wise man that you can put over this project and, and um, plant extra and make granaries and store it up for seven years. And then when the famine hits, you'll have plenty and you won't starve during the seven years of famine. Pharaoh says, that's a great idea, and I don't know anybody smarter than you. So here he goes from um, being in a pit with his brother, being accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, going to the prison, getting raised up to the number one position, and now Pharaoh puts him in a number two spot. He is the most powerful man next to Pharaoh in the entire world. That's why we call it from pit to the pinnacle. And he's raised up. And he says, you're my man. Because uh, God's spirit and wisdom is in you. So Joseph is uh, exalted um, in, uh, in Egypt. Let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter seven. I'm gonna leave that there for now. I think we've made the point that he's been raised up. Remember, this is a history lesson that Stephen is given to the high priest. Well, all these things the high priest knows. But um, Stephen has a plan. He wants to recount the history so he can make his point. Let's pick it up in verse, um, rather than going through all the chapters that we would have to, this says it here in a couple verses. So we're looking at um, 9 through 19. And the patriarch became envious and sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, (coughs) excuse me, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Cana, and our fathers found no food or substance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Well, there's a whole lot of chapters that are left out on what took place here. Because when the famine hit, um, we read here that Jacob sent out um, every, everybody and they go to Egypt because they hear there's, there's food there. Um, we know that this happened twice. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but his brothers did not recognize Joseph. They thought he'd been sold to the Ishmaelites, end of, the, end of story. They have no idea that uh, they're standing before the most powerful man in the world next to Pharaoh, and so they're, they're not thinking Joseph. Everybody with me? Okay, so what happens is he says, you guys are just really spies. 
Um, you just come here and spy out the land. And um, um, I don't believe your story. You got any more brothers? Yeah, we got one, one brother at home. And he says, and if you're not spies, what I want you to do is uh, go back and get him and bring him along. This would have been Benjamin. Now, Joseph and Benjamin had the same mother. And we find here that's the reason they, they were so close. So they have to go back. To prove you're not spies, I want you to go back and get your brother and bring him back. Now, it's the second trip when they come back, the brothers, and stand before Joseph, that in verse 13, the second time jo- Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. What's not told here is the story where they put the silver cup in, the grain bags, and there's a whole lot, if you want to get the whole story, that you're going to have to go and read for yourself. What Stephen is doing here is giving an abbreviated version of them going into Egypt, like on the map there, and then going back into the land of Canaan. Now, we're introduced, and they, as we're told here, uh, then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and all of his relatives to him, 75 people. So of these 75 people, uh, Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and our fathers, and they carried back to Shechem and laid him in the tomb of Abraham, um, bought for a sum of money from the sons of Haram, the, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Now, this till is, until here is really a major change for Joseph. It says in verse 18, until another king arose who did not know Joseph. Joseph was shown all its favor, but this new pharaoh doesn't know Joseph, and so he has no real respect for him. He uh, dealt treacherously with the people, oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Well, we just passed 400 years. It's mentioned in Acts. Earlier, um, back in verse six, that they'll be in bitter bondage for four hundred years. So from the time of Joseph coming back, um, now they're not held in high esteem, but they're made slaves. Uh, And their life was bitter bondage. Now we're 400 years later and we have the introduction to Moses. At this time it says in verse Um, 20 through 22 uh, the first 40 years of Moses' life at that time Moses was born and was well pleasing to God and he was brought up in his father's house for three months but when he set out Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up to be her own son and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was mighty in word and deed. So in 20 and 22, 
we find that for the first 40 years of his life, um, he's in a royal family. And that's where he spent his first 40 years, learning all the wisdom and the deeds of the Egyptians. Now, in verses 23 through 30, we have the next 40 years of Moses' life. But when, his 40, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrongly, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Evidently, some Egyptian was um, um, punishing or cracking the whip to make him work harder, who knows what. But Joseph saw it, so he takes out the Egyptian kills him, and delivers um, his Hebrew brother. An interesting verse 25, for he supposed that his brethren would understand that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And we find that uh, we have the next day uh, two of his own brethren fighting, And he breaks it up, and one of them says, who do you think you are, Moses? Who made you a judge between us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Well, now the word got out. If that got out that Moses was the man who killed an Egyptian, so he takes off. And so for the next 40 years, Moses fled and became a soldier in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. So what do we have? 40 years in Egypt. Another 40 years in the land of Midian. And he's uh, basically um, a sheep herder. And this, after 40 years, is where the burning bush comes in. And Charlton Heston, a Moses, stands before the burning bush, and he says, why haven't you heard the pleas of your people? And the voice from the bush said, take off your shoes, Moses. The ground that you're standing on is holy. I'm sending you. You're my man. And I'm going to use you as my instrument. I mean, the rod that you have uh, is going to be your only sword because I'm going to be doing all the work. And he says, well, if they ask who sent me, who shall I say has sent me? And you all know the story. You've all seen the Ten Commandments. Tell them, I am. Tell them, I am that I am. The all-becoming one. Whatever a person's need is, that's what he becomes. The all-becoming one. So now he's 80 years old. Can you imagine starting a ministry when you're 80 years old? That's what happens to Moses. So hang in there if you're still praying about ministry and you're only in your 50s or 60s or 70s or whatever. And uh, so Moses, at this point, um, in verse 37, it talks about the signs and the wonders in verse 36, but in 37 it says, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother, and him you shall hear. Now, remember what we're in the book of Acts. What is Stephen trying to do? Persuade the high priest that Jesus is their Messiah. 
So he lays a lot of background work with Joseph and Moses. And now there's this prophecy concerning somebody who's going to be like Moses. And we find it, this is the Moses who said to the children of Israel, this is a prophecy, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. And it's at this point, Stephen is gonna begin to tell the high priest who that prophet like Moses was. He's gonna explain to it, it's Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes, this is repeated, this very verse right here in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Um, I'm not gonna have you turn to that one, but I'm gonna go back and read the one um, from Acts chapter, if you wanna go back there with me, Acts chapter three, a couple weeks back. Acts chapter three, verse 22 tells us, for Moses truly said to your fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And so here he's quoting what goes way back to the Old Testament. Allow me again, because I I tell you almost every Sunday, that you can't have a Bible study in any of these chapters without having prophecy. People say, why do you talk about prophecy so much? Well, it's because we teach the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You cannot get around it. So you have to deal with prophecy. It's the strongest instrument that that we have right now. And um, we know things that are gonna happen before they're happen, that's what only God can do. Can I give you just a current one that I learned two days ago? Somebody say yes, please. Okay. All right, so we know that Ezekiel 38 and Isaiah 17 are right around the corner. Just this week, Israeli jets flew into Lebanon airspace. Russian jets scrambled and went after them. And the Israeli jets hightailed it back into Israel. And um, what I read this morning is a declaration by Russia. He says, if you attack any more in Syria, remember they're fighting over the Golan Heights right now. If you attack any more, you're at war with Russia. Tell me how close we are to Ezekiel 38. You know, and um, that's two days ago. And so when we say the hour is late and Bible prophecy is important, well, the reason we know that is I know what Ezekiel 38 is all about. I know who the main players are. I know who the nations are. And they're all at odds right now with Israel, Iran, Turkey, and Russia. And there are six other nations uh, that are lining up the same way. What's interesting is some of these Arab nations like Saudi Arabia, they're not involved. They're making peace treaties, just like Dubai and Saudi Arabia. They're making peace deals as we speak with Israel. Are they involved in the Ezekiel 38 war? No. They, they're asking questions, what are you guys doing? Have you come down here to take a spoil? So every day it seems like something more is added and all I can tell you 
is if the Lord told us to watch, what do we watch for? Well, Russia's saying that if you attack anymore in Syria, you think, you think Israel's gonna stop attacking Assyria because they're sending their forces to take the Golan Heights. What does that mean? That means that Russia's declaring war on Israel. And if it's, if it's that late, gang, we, we might get to see Damascus 17 fulfilled right before our eyes. So tell a lot of people, when this happens, remember I told you ahead of time. All right, let's get back to, um, um, here's this prophecy. And this is really where Stephen is, is going. He wants to lay the foundation that God's gonna raise up another prophet like Moses. Him you're gonna, um, and what he says is important and it needs to be listened to. So we have that fulfilled in Acts chapter three and Deuteronomy 18. Now verses 39, go back to chapter seven, 39 through 45. We are now from Moses to David whom our fathers would not obey but rejected and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron make us a God to go before us uh, for this Moses brought us out of the land of Egypt we do not know what has become of him and they made a calf in those days offered sacrifice and idols and rejoiced in the works of their hands then God gave them up to worship the Lord the host, of, uh, the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. All right, here's another prophecy. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifice during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Yes, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephaim, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. And so there's prophecies uh, there, and our fathers had the tabernacle of the wilderness, and he appointed and instructed Moses to make it according to the pattern which he had seen, which our fathers, having received it, in turn also brought Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our father until the days of David. Well, he's skipping over a whole lot of material here. And, but he's summarizing, because we all know, um, we mentioned it, I think, on Wednesday night. Um, Moses, go strike the rock. It'll bring forth water for the people. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4 says that rock was Christ. And the Lord said, strike the rock. It'll bring forth water. He does. People were thirsty. They got their water. So they went for another month or so, they got thirsty again, murmuring, complaining. And the Lord says, okay, Moses, go speak to the rock and it'll bring forth water. But Moses was ticked off at the people because all they did was complain. And so he goes up to the rock and he says, must I strike this rock? And he took it and he struck it twice. And God being gracious brought forth the water. But as 1 Corinthians 10 says that rock was Christ and all of Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that Jesus can only be smitten one time and he was 
destroying the picture. He said, don't strike it again. I've already struck it once. And he struck it twice. And he said, Moses, come here. Because you did this, you're not going into the promised land. None of this is in Acts chapter seven. You can't take my people into the promised land. But that's a picture too. If you're taking notes, John chapter one, verse 17 says that the law came through Moses. Can you enter into God's promises through the law? No. It destroys the picture. He couldn't go in. He let him see it. But who brought him into the land? Joshua, whose name translated is Jesus. Who brings us into the promises of God? Jesus. This is where Stephen is going with with all of this. So we find we're at the end in verse 45 with Moses, and in one verse, in verse 46, we have one verse for King David. And until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. David loved the Lord, and he wanted to build, instead of this portable tabernacle that they had to move all the time, he wanted to build a house, a temple for the Lord. And that's a whole Bible study within itself. The Lord says, no, can't do it. Too much blood on your hands. But I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna build you a house. And it tells us that David understood, because the Lord told him that, that his descendants, and he said it's gonna last forever. And the forever part meant that when David's kingdom starts, it's gonna last forever. And what that meant to David was the Messiah himself would be born from the line of David. Now, if you're taking notes and you wanna back me up on this, the genealogy of Jesus is in Matthew chapter one. And you can follow it there. It's also in Luke chapter three, through the line of Mary, Matthew through uh, the line of David. But it both points to Jesus, and this is what um, Stephen is telling him. And we have one verse about Solomon in verse 47, but Solomon built him a house. Boy, did he ever. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples with hands, as the prophet said, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? For what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? All right, now he gets to the point. He's laid all the foundation, and it's been leading up to this here. He's saying the... Uh, that Jesus is the genealogy that you can trace back. And it all points to Jesus. Now, beginning with verse um, 51, now he gets into their face. And pretty much we'll read 51 through 54. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Boy, that's a warm, fuzzy sermon. I get people's. (laughs) You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Do you always resist the Holy Spirit as our fathers did? So do you. Which of the prophets 
did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom, among whom you have become betrayers and murderers. Boy, is he laying it on them. Who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Now this verse right here is uh, very um, interesting to me. We find that you can be cut to the heart two different ways. Go back with me to Acts chapter three, just a couple chapters back, and remember um, Peter's message. Acts chapter three, verse 37 Chapter two, I knew that. <laughs> Haven't I been testing you on a weekly basis? What? All right, okay, just so, just so we're clear here. <laughs> okay, Peter has just preached for the first time. This time under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And it said, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and in their response to Peter and to the apostles, men and brethren, what are we going to do? And he says, you need to repent. And let every one of you be baptized. So that's one way of getting cut to the heart. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes down and convicts a person that they really are a sinner and that they need to repent. No exceptions. In this group, 3,000 people get saved. And then there's another way you can get cut to the heart, and that's Acts chapter seven, verse 54. We're almost done. Acts chapter seven, verse 54 tells us, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. But this is a little different, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. And I thought to myself, I wonder what that looks like. What does it look like when you gnash at somebody? What it is, is the stain and hatred to the point that their hearts were cut, not to repent, but to kill. But he, being filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Many places in the scripture we read about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. No, here's the first martyr. Jesus stands up. It's the only time it's recorded in the scriptures. And they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen and he was carrying, and he was, as he was calling out to God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with the sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Um, Stephen was the first martyr. I brought with me, and I didn't bring it out here with me, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It is a classic. 
And um, I was going to read it out of, out of that, but I'm just going to tell you what it says. Stephen is the first martyr. Since Stephen, the first martyr, there has been 70 million Christians killed for their faith according to uh, Voice of Martyrs. And what Fox's Book of Martyrs is is a documentation on how they died. And the first one in the book was Stephen. And it's recorded right here at Acts chapter seven. A Christian is martyred every five minutes. All the disciples were killed except John. The Lord kept him around to write the book of Revelation. In closing, what does he say here? Um, he says, Lord, do not charge them with their sin. Where do you suppose he got that from? It's what Jesus, he learned it from Jesus. When Jesus said, seven things Jesus said from the cross, one of them was this. Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. So to make this application, as we close up this Sunday, March 7th, 2021, let me close it by saying that everyone here knows someone who despises you, either because you're a Bible-believing Christian or because you're always witnessing to them. And I'm talking about every person here knows somebody, that family member or whatever, they despise you. You narrow-minded, bigoted Christians. You homophobics and whatever. And then you have that person that you're witnessing to all the time. Well, sometimes the Bible says, don't cast your pearls before before swine because this book is precious, amen? And shake the dust off your feet and go tell it to somebody else that might listen. But let's say that person is a person that you work next to every day. And you can't do that. My exhortation to you was, keep on doing it. Well, they're gonna hate me and despise me. You're in good company. Because the the attitude we should take is witnessing, especially because the time and the hour is late. Don't let it upset you. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. By rejecting the gospel, the most loving thing you can do even if they hate you, is at least tell them the truth. And uh, even if you're despised, and of course we know that Stephen learned this from Jesus, and let me just encourage you um, to be a Stephen. And no matter what gnashing or dirty looks or, or whatever you might get from them, the stakes are high and the time is late. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. 60 verses is a lot of verses to cover. But Lord, in these times, we need to be giving more of our time and attention studying your word and um, being exhorted and uh, being challenged as we look at the life of, of um, Abraham and Joseph and, and Moses and how he's willing to stand up uh, and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, in closing, you've told us that if we will confess you before men, 
that you will confess our names before our heavenly Father and the angels in heaven. But if we deny you before men, you will also deny that you ever knew us. I pray for any this morning, Lord, that are either offended by or have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. Help them realize they have one or two choices. They can be cut in the heart and be broken and asked to be forgiven of their sins and repent. Or they can harden their heart to the point of even hating the messenger. And whichever it may be, Lord, help us not waver from the command that you gave us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.